Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. To those of us who have mothers that are still alive, uh, hopefully we'll spend some time with them this weekend. Those of us whose mothers have gone on, of course, they're going to be remembered on this occasion. Whether you know your mother or you never knew your mother, uh, the one commonality that we all have is that we all have a mother. We would not be here without her, literally. We all needed a mother to get into this world. Even my master, who was divine, who was God in the flesh, needed a mother to bring him into this world. And so let's think about that for a few minutes this morning. Let's think about Mary. Now, Mary was not divine. She was not God or in any way greater or more special or more holy than anyone else. Mary was, however, chosen by the divine. She was chosen to carry the divine. And so there was something in her that God saw that gave him the confidence that this is the person who can bear my son and raise my son and bring my son up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and prepare him for the adulthood of his ministry culminating in his death for all of humanity. Think about the great responsibility on Mary's shoulders that she had to instill in the, the Christ child the, the tenets and the customs and the expectations of God and his law that he would carry through into adulthood and into his ministry. We can thank Mary for a lot of things regarding the kind of man that Jesus became, lived as, and died. But, as we say, Mary was not divine. She was a human. And so she was limited in what she fully understood regarding her son. But she did know quite a bit about him. And just like God saw in Mary certain things that gave him the confidence to uh, let her carry the Christ, Mary also saw things in Jesus. Now all of us can see, in a metaphorical way, our, our Savior, our Master. And we see him in different ways, as I just said. Some uh, see him and, and think of a master, some think of a savior, some think of a redeemer, kind of a heroic figure. We think of sometimes a suffering, meek and humble servant. We see Jesus in multiple ways because he, he fills multiple roles. How does Mary see Jesus? I imagine she saw him in a way that no one else ever did. Just the way that all mothers see their children. Now, I'm a father of three. I see my three sons in a very special way that no one else does. But my wife sees them in even a more different way than I do. Because my wife actually carried our three sons. She had them inside her. She felt them kick in the, on the inside of her stomach. She felt their heartbeat and their body attached to her body. It's a very special relationship between a mother and child. And so I can't help but think about that relationship in respect to Jesus and his own mother. And though we all have Christ in our lives, we all kind of share Jesus, Mary had to share Jesus with the world. She had to take her own, her, her, her first son, not her only son, but her first son, and give him to the whole world. That is a tremendous concept to wrap the mind around. When we think about Mary, let's consider four things that she saw with regards to her son. Mary saw Jesus. She saw with the eyes the promise that Jesus offered. She saw the prospect of what Jesus would be. She saw the pain that Jesus endured. And then she also saw the prosperity, the, the perpetual prosperity that Jesus will enjoy forevermore. Consider, though, first of all, the promise. Mary saw in Jesus the promise of what he was going to be. And that goes even before she gave birth to him. In fact, when the announcement was made to her by the angel, 
she understood just in a small way what she was about to get into, what she was going to do, not only for herself and for God, but for all of humanity. The promises attached to the Messiah now in part rested with her because she was going to carry that Messiah. I'm reminded of the conversation between uh, she and Elizabeth when Elizabeth was carrying John, the baptizer, and Mary was carrying Jesus, and they were cousins. And there's a text in Luke that I want to pull out in chapter 1, verse 42. She spoke with a loud voice and said, this is Elizabeth talking to Mary, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And what is this you come to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of your salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Mary and Elizabeth greet each other, and when they do, when Mary's voice uh, fills the ears of Elizabeth, the sound penetrates the womb of Elizabeth, and the baby John leaps in her womb. And she makes the connection between that and with what she already knows from uh, her angelic conversations and through her husband Zacharias that Mary is carrying the Christ child. Later on, right after that, Mary and Elizabeth are talking, and now Mary has a chance to speak. And this really is the first vocal reaction we have from Mary regarding everything that's now happening to her. In Luke 1, starting in verse 46, Mary says, My soul does magnify the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is his name. Do you see the humility in Mary's words? She calls herself just a lowly handmaiden. And how God has blessed her who is lowest among women, as how she puts it, to be esteemed so greatly and so highly. And she gives all the glory and all the credit to God. Holy is his name. Great is him. Not great as me. Mary doesn't see herself as great. She sees God as great. And she's so blessed that God would use her to do this great thing. That humility is most certainly passed on to Jesus, who, though he was divine, humbled himself and was low and meek among those in the world, even among those who hated him and who scoffed him for his meekness. He learned that humility from his mother. So when Mary is still with child, and she starts to contemplate the promise of the Messiah that is now being carried in her. She does not see herself as some great thing, but God as the ultimate great thing. And she says, I am lowly and God is great. And the promise of the Messiah will be carried by me as a servant. So that just makes me appreciate uh, Mary. And I recognize the wisdom of God in uh, allowing her to carry the Christ child. Mary did not only see her son in promise, though. Mary also saw her son in prospect. In Luke chapter 2, right after Jesus is born, we're told that uh, she and Joseph and Jesus all travel to Jerusalem, as the custom you would for a newborn child. It says this, though, in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, and he waited for the consolation of Israel. That's a fancy way of saying the coming Messiah. This was an old Jewish man who knew his Bible, who knew the Messiah was coming someday, and he was waiting patiently for the day the Messiah would come. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, he took the child in his arms and blessed God. 
and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Imagine this scene here. Mary and Joseph and the Christ child look like a perfectly normal family of three. If you didn't know who they were, you would think this was a mother and a father and a newborn child. You wouldn't think anything about it. But here comes this person, makes a beeline for them, takes the child in his arms, and starts talking about him as though he's the Christ, which of course he is, but no one ought to know that right now. If you're Mary, what are you thinking? Luke 2.33 Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. And a sword shall pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He's blessing this child and blessing the parents, and he's holding this the, the child savior that he will grow into. And he says, he is going to touch so many lives. He's going to prick so many hearts. And then he looks at Mary and he says, he's going to put a sword right through your heart. Now that's a very poetic way of saying this child who will save so many, bring so much joy to so many, will, in a different way, bring you great sorrow. And we can probably guess what he's alluding to. And he speaks it through the Holy Spirit's inspiration. But he addresses the fact that this child has great prospect. That so much he's going to accomplish in his life. How many ways he's going to touch people. He's going to save Jews and reach Gentiles. But then he points to Mary. And he draws the mother's eyes to her child. And he says, he's going to affect you too. In a very different way. Which reminds us of the third point. Mary saw with her eyes Jesus and the pain, not just the promise of him, not just the prospects of him, but the pain that he endured. For this I'm reminded of John 19, at the end of Jesus' life on earth, John 19, 25-27, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Jesus looking at Mary, looking over to John, and saying, John, take care of her. This is not John the baptizer, this is John the disciple, who along with Peter and James and Andrew were among the first ones that he selected to be his apostles. And he looks at John, and he looks at Mary, and he says, Woman, behold your son. And he looks at John and he says, Son, behold your mother. I'm dying. I'm leaving this world. My mother needs to be cared for. And so here in Jesus, in a moment of tremendous pain and agony and suffering, when the whole weight of the world is on his shoulders, when literally everything in human history is culminating in this moment, all my master can think about in this moment, I need to take care of my mother. Someone needs to look after her because I'm now leaving this world. And I'm going to rise and I'm going to see people after I rise, but then I'm going to ascend into heaven and she's going to have more years on this world without me. Someone needs to care for her. And so he takes the time through his pain that his mother sees him in to care for him. And I can only imagine what it must have been like to be Mary at the foot of the cross and to look up at her baby boy whom she has raised and cared for and instilled the virtues and the goodness of God in his heart and to watch him apply those lessons that she taught him as a child, apply them as an adult in his rabbinic ministry, only to be turned against by his people, and attacked by his people, and lied about by his people, and falsely convicted by his people, and wrongly killed by his people, 
and she sees, I taught him all these things that he taught them, and they killed him. And he's dying for them. And he's dying for me. Imagine what it's like to see that. And Mary would have to be the only person in human history, the only person ever, who could honestly say to themselves, if I could switch places with him, I would. Now, we might all think that. We might all wish that. But nobody, other than one person, would honestly trade places with Jesus. Nobody would honestly say, if we, ha if we actually could do it, I'll go to the cross and Jesus can live. I'll suffer the hours of agony and the abuse that preceded it. I'll suffer all of that so Jesus wouldn't have to. No, we'd all like to think that, but in the end, we're a little too appreciative of the fact that Jesus did it for us. But Mary is the only one who I believe would mean it if she said it. Because Mary was a mother. And what mother would not take punishment and take pain to take it away from their child? But Mary could not do that. Mary had to watch while her son died. For me, and for you, and for her. That's tremendous to think about. She saw her son. From birth to adulthood, she saw the promise of him. She saw the prospects of him. She saw the pain of him. And finally, after he, ascended, after he rose, she saw him in prosperity. She saw him in prospect and promise and pain, and she saw him in prosperity. Now, there is no actual definitive account. There's no specific gospel verse that says, and then Mary, his mother, saw him risen from the grave. But we don't need that verse. It is understood. Common sense tells us that Mary saw him. He was seen by 500 people. He was seen by the disciples. And then later, the disciples are with Mary, his mother, after he ascends, as they wait for the power of God to come from heaven in Acts 1.14. So Mary was there. She didn't lose the faith or anything like that. So there's no reason not to think that she saw her son, that she knew her child conquered death, rose from the grave, and ascended on high to take his place in the throne of God as king of the world. This is a woman who watched her son die. This is a parent who had to watch and bury her child. No parent should have to bury the child. I have heard parents talk about losing a child, and they have described it as losing a limb. Like you cut off the arm, and eventually the pain, the actual physical pain subsides, but this feeling of loss never goes away. You are missing a part of yourself. And the phantom pain that comes with losing a limb also lingers. You are feeling the missing of someone else. And there's nothing that can be done. There's nothing that can be said. There's nothing that anyone can offer that can take that pain away because it is the pain of losing something. The only way to get rid of that pain is to get that something you lost back. And the thing about death is, once you've lost them, you've lost them. Until Jesus. Mary lost her son. Her son died. Her limb cut off. Pain. And the only thing that could take that pain away is getting her son back. And wouldn't you know it, three days later, she got her son back. And when she got her son back, the hope for all of us who've ever lost a child, and all children who've ever lost a parent, and all friends who've ever lost a friend, and anyone who's ever lost anyone, the hope that we could see them again is now kindled through Christ. And all that began with a mother who saw her son rise and ascend into heaven to claim the power of death and the conquering of death and the resurrection from death 
to take that power away from Satan and make it holy and pure. So now when we die, we rest and we wait to rise again. Mary saw that. When she watched her son rise, that feeling of loss was now taken away. So she had to watch her son depart, but she never lost him because he lives forevermore. Mary saw her Savior. Mary saw her son in promise, in prospect, in pain, and then finally, thankfully, blessedly, in prosperity forevermore. Happy Mother's Day to all mothers. Happy um, Father's Day next month to all fathers. I hope that you will hold your parents tight. If your parents, I hope you'll hold your children tight. It's a special blessing uh, to have a, a parent-child relationship. It's something that Mary understood and had a relationship with Christ in a way that we don't. The relationship we have with Christ is of a master-servant. It's of a brother to a brother. It's of a God to a creator to a creation. Uh, but ultimately, as long as we have that relationship, we have the hope and the promises and the blessings that come with it. Thank you very much. And while I've got you on the phone, if you want to subscribe, you can do so by going to anchor.fm slash Matthew-Martin414. I've got uh, free audio files here and there that I'll release every now and then, but for the most part, I put everything behind a massive, giant paywall where you have to pay upwards of, I think it's 99 cents a month. So if you can if you can manage that a dollar a month, <clears throat> that's, you know, it's not easy, but if you want to whip out a buck, then you get hundreds of audio files of all of my sermons and classes and devotionals. So it's uh, anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W dash Martin 414 and hit subscribe for a buck and you get all my hundreds and hundreds of audio files. All right. Thank you.